this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Hi, and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, with the Relax Back UK show. This week, I chat with Dr. Kelly Seaman of MedCan Support and Aqualabs about a recent conference on medical cannabis. There's a particular product called Bedrolite, which is, is a full plant extract of cannabis and is very effective for treating epilepsy in children. We talk about the different ways it can help people and some of the blockages that exist to people getting that help. And then a bus that if you get on it, it could well save your life. The, the fact is that severe disease of heart valve disease, the prognosis is worse than most cancers. Will Wone, CEO of Heart Valve Voice, tells us of a bus that can carry out heart checks that's now touring the UK. So please do stay tuned for a great show. Thank you. that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at Alka-Cells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. Alka-Cells. Part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alka-Cells. Life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Dr. Kelly Seaman is an expert in medicinal cannabis and she's been on the show three or four times in the past. So the first thing I did was just thank her for coming back on again. My pleasure. It's always a pleasure to speak to people who want to learn more about cannabis. Well, so on that on that theme, the, the topic is uh, medicinal cab cannabis. And uh, recently there's been a, a conference in London just a, a couple of weeks ago on, on this precise subject. So... Um, what, what was the objective of the conference? What sort of what went on? Well, so this was a, a little bit different to many other conferences that have, have happened surrounding the legal cannabis sector and the, the, the cannabis medicines. This was a, focused on the patients. There'd never really been an event that focused primarily on the patients. A lot of the other events have been around industry, how this industry can grow, but this was, we wanted to bring... The, the stories of the patients and how their, their experiences and give them a voice so that they felt that they were being listened to. Okay, uh, so, well, I was, I was going to ask, so lots of patients or potential patients attended? 
Yes, there was, there was, there was lots. There was lots that had come from the legacy market who had been using cannabis for many years. Uh, there were those that were were actually having it prescribed in this country. There were also patients from Poland as well. We'd got ca- Canadian perspective as well, uh, and the US perspective. Um, so it was fantastic to see these people coming together to be able to not just network, make friendships as well, sort of come together to actually feel that they're not alone in some of their struggles and, and be able to maybe understand a little bit more from the doctors and industry, understand what industry are doing and why they have to do what they do as well. All right. Well, I, I definitely want to come on to chat about that in a moment, but perhaps you can just give a summary of the sorts of things the sorts of problems that cannabis medication can help with for the patients? You know, what sort of ailments and suffering uh, did these patients have? Did these patients have? So there was a whole array of different uh, issues. So one of the main ones is pain. Pain management um, is one of the really main issue that people will use cannabis for. Um, And that can be from fibromyalgia, from MS, from arthritis. So it's used to help to actually treat the symptoms. Myself, I am epileptic and it can also be used for epilepsy to help control seizures. And we had a number of families there with children who have been using cannabis very successfully um, for the controlling of seizures uh, within children. Um, and at that's, the moment- has been in the news a lot recently, hasn't it? Where kind of whole families' lives have been changed for the better because, well, they were in the situation where children were having to go into hospital after a seizure, you know, after a seizure two or three times a month. And uh, it was almost like a switch and that they then stopped. Yes. And it's, it's about seizure control. I mean, I will never say that cannabis is the silver bullet. I'm very much uh, cannabis can help. And it is one of the tools. It's one of the tools we can use to help manage these things. So me personally, I use it to aid with sleep. I use it to aid with the anxiety as opposed to actually directly treating the epilepsy itself. Many other people will use it to help treat symptoms as opposed to actually treating the condition itself but there's a lot of evidence that also suggests that it does treat uh, particular ailments like anti um, tumor effects when you've got the correct ratio of compounds there there is there has been shown to be anti-tumor effects so I don't want to say anti-cancer or cure cancer but it certainly can help reduce the size of tumors and some of the the actual effects that I've seen has been absolutely amazing with this but mainly one of the biggest um, cohorts of patients is through pain really. Okay right so we had lots of patients there what other sort of people uh, attended the conference? Well it was fantastic we had we had a real array so we had the usual doctors that um, uh, came to the event and actually spoke on some of the panels like Dr Danny Gordon um, who are, are experts in this area at prescribing. I'd like to have seen a lot more um, cannabis naive doctors there as well uh, just so that they were learning a lot more uh, but we also had a lot of licensed cultivation facilities there understanding the patient's needs, listening to the patient's stories, understanding the problems with some of the supply chain and the issues they've been having with their medication there weren't many investors at all there in fact I don't think it came across one investor but we had a lot of lobbyists there as well and we had Hannah Deaking there speaking on a panel as a mother of um, Alfie Digley uh, a a patient 
who uses cannabis and he has one of the only NHS prescriptions uh, in the country uh, for full plant uh, extract. We also had um, other people from industry as well talking about cultivation uh, on some of the panels. So yeah. it was a really you, big you, you array. Mentioned license, sorry, you mentioned licensed cultivation. Uh, so businesses that cultivate the cannabis plant. So does that happen in the UK or is that happening outside the UK? It's happening in the UK as we speak. Um, I work with a number of different licensed cultivation facilities throughout the country. One of the biggest issues we've got in this country at the moment is the license they've got are R&D licenses. So they can only do research and development. So they can take the plant through the growing stages, study the compounds that are within it, make a product, do the formulation, but they can't give that formulation to any patients. They can't sell that formulation because their license will only allow them to do research and development. It won't allow them to go to that next stage and turn that into a product which is for sale, which is a commercial license. So that's the UK. We've obviously got GW Pharmaceutical, which is now Jazz Pharmaceuticals, who produce Epidiolex and Sativex in this country who are cultivating and have a commercial license. But they have a licensed product to market as well. A lot of the products that you actually see coming into the UK, which are prescribed on the private sector, are coming in from around the world. Quite often New Zealand, Australia, uh, Israel, um, and, and they are coming in because they meet what is known as uh, good manufacturing practice, also known as GMP. And it's always good to explain these acronyms because yeah. this industry is all of them, um, MHRA, NICE, oh, they, they go on and on and on. Um, but at so the moment, is the cannabis, um, so is it brought in as cannabis and then made into medication in the UK or brought in as medication? It's interesting how you say cannabis. So the medication and that, the, the definition of, of kind of medication you can use cannabis in many different forms. The form that people tend to relate to is, is the flower. And that flower is then turned into a cigarette or a joint or a spliff or whatever terminology the person has. And this is usually for the, the kind of recreational side. For medicinal purposes, smoking is not recommended because there's obviously issues with smoking and that having carcinogenic effects. So it's recommended that it's vaporized. So it's never actually burnt. It's heated to a temperature where the oil that is where all the concentrated cannabinoids are and all the terpenes that have the medicinal effects is vaporized off. And that can be then inhaled. Other methodologies, it can be turned into an oil or a tablet or a suppository. And that goes through a processing means. So there, there is different kind of prescriptions that occur now. A lot of people have the flower prescribed and then they will vaporize that. That kind of gives instant relief because the onset is very quick. It's usually within sort of 10 minutes, there's an effect that occurs. Whereas when you're taking it orally as a tincture, as an oil, that the time for its onset is a lot longer. It can be sort of three quarters of an hour, but it lasts for a longer period of time. It has a kind Why of is that? Is that is that because the oil is more concentrated? There's that factor that it's more concentrated, and the fact that you're taking it orally and it's then processed through the liver. Right. When you're vaporizing, you're inhaling, and it's going in through the lungs, so it hits the blood-brain barrier a lot quicker. Straight into the bloodstream, yeah. Yes, but that effect doesn't last as long. So it doesn't pass through the liver. What 
happens with cannabis oil is when you take it orally, it then goes, it's absorbed, you know, sublingually through the mouth into the bloodstream, but it then goes through the liver and it's processed. The THC within it will be processed into another form, which is known as the 11-hydroxy form, which binds to the uh, endocannabinoid system in a different way and has a different effect. So it has this kind of secondary effect um, that um, will last longer and feels very different. It's personally me, I don't, I don't like that effect and I prefer vaporizing because of the way that it, it kind of feels. I, I don't enjoy the 11-hydroxy feeling to it. It's one of the, I uh, hesitate to call it, call it a side effect, but it's a side effect that I don't really um, like and, and, and do like to avoid that because it's like a second wave and it can be quite heavy in the way it feels. Um, but that that's kind of the the, diff <coughs> the difference between the two. <coughs> now, okay. cannabis will be imported as flour and then given to the patients as flour, but it can also be imported as an oil or imported as flour and then turned into an oil and then formulated into a product needed for the patients. Now, I've probably spoke about in previous um, episodes about full plant extracts and isolates and the differences. So when you've got the flower itself, you have the all of the uh, different cannabinoids that are there. And there, there's been, to date, there's been recorded 147 different cannabinoids. And then there's the terpenes on top of that, which are what produce the smells of flowers. Um, and these are also within that flower. And these all have medicinal effects to them. I've not even mentioned flavonoids or lignins or sterols or any of the other compounds that are in there as well. We'll just stick to terpenes and uh, cannabinoids for now. So when you've actually got the flower, you've got everything there. It's a little bit like taking a cabbage. It's got everything. It's got all the vitamins in there. It's got all your vitamin A. It's got everything that you need in there. When you actually then extract the oil, you remove some of those compounds. So you've just got your cannabinoids in there and terpenes and some of the flavonoids and some of the compounds within a thick, dark kind of tarry material. Wow. This is what's known as full plant extract. And it's a bit like molasses. So it's got everything in there. And because these all, comp all these compounds are together in different ratios, they work quite differently within the body and interact with one another to produce something known as the entourage effect. Now, Within the pharmaceutical industry, they like an individual compound on its own because it makes studying it a lot easier. You know exactly that 10 milligrams of THC will have this effect, X, Y, and Z. It makes the graphs prettier. It makes research much easier to deal with. Well, actually, I think it makes research possible, <laughs> almost. It, it does, yes. Uh, it, it makes sort of conclusions a lot easier to be drawn. However, these individual compounds, when you isolate it down to that individual compound, does have a different effect at the right. same concentration as the full plant extract. It has a, a you know, it, it, you often need to use a lot more. So there was a study done in Canada by Lewis Cole, um, Evan, a, a professor, Evan Cole, um, of uh, the... Uh, Toronto Neurological Centre and he did this on children with refractory epilepsy and he did this study on CBD comparing CBD isolate with full plant extract CBD 
and he found that he needed six times the amount of the isolate CBD to what he needed of the full plant extract to have those same effects to prevent seizures occurring. Now, the problem with him using those higher levels of the isolate, there were more side effects such as diarrhea that was involved with it uh, and other kind of side effects that were not, you know, it, it wasn't, it was not beneficial to the patient and they were actually finding there were problems coming with this. The full plant extract had same effect on the seizures without all of those side effects as well. So for me, full plant extract is, is always going to be the better route to go. And it, 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 there is scientific evidence to show that this, this full plant extract, just like eating the cabbage whole, as opposed to removing the vitamin A from the cabbage and making it into a tablet, it, 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 you've got all of those other things that go with it that have benefits to you as well. All right. Yeah, that, that's a good, a, a good analogy there about e e eating the cabbage. Suffice to say that it, it's a complex issue, I guess, <laughs> the, way, the way you describe it. It's, it's, the, yeah. That's the understatement of the year. <laughs> yeah, right. But then it, absolutely no question, it gives a lot of people relief uh, for all different issues. So let, let's, let's just move on a little bit to something else I want to talk about, because um, in some instances, the, the NHS uh, it will, will supply cannabis medicines, you know, via prescription. Um, and that, that's been happening for, well, actually, how long has that been happening for? <laughs> you know, four years. So Four years, right. And um, But it seems that there's kind of a bit of a blockage in the system because not everyone who, who wants a prescription or needs a prescription can actually, well, they might be able to get a prescription, but then they can't get the medicine. So what what's, what's going on there? So one of the biggest issues with cannabis is it's classified as an uh, unlicensed medicine so under normal uh, controls a medicine has to become uh, licensed under mhra so it has to have gone through vigorous um, research it has to go through efficacy uh, trials it has to go through toxicology trials so all the relevant data yeah. that um, that it's effective against a particular disease, so it can then be prescribed for yeah. that disease. And just to underline, this is a good thing, actually. This is a, yes. <laughs> this oh, is yes. a very good thing. Yes, oh, 100%. Um, you know, th these kind of regulations are put in place to help protect us, but sometimes over-regulation can cause blockages. But this is just one of the kind of the issues. The thing with the NHS is, is, is that it, it has to have guidelines and unfortunately, it can't prescribe everything. It has to have some kind of boundaries of where it yeah. can go. Um, so cannabis, unfortunately, as I say, comes into this unlicensed medicine. Now, when we actually talk about uh, cannabis-based medicines being prescribed on the NHS, there is um, products, as I mentioned earlier, created by GW Pharmaceutical. You've got Satifex and Epidiolex, which are licensed medicines and can be prescribed on the NHS if the doctor feels that's that's correct. Unfortunately, these products aren't always as effective as they need to be, particularly with children with factory epilepsy. They find that it, it, it's not as effective as using what I, I just mentioned earlier about full plant extracts. So there's a particular product called Bedrolite, 
which is, is a full plant extract of cannabis and is very effective for treating epilepsy in children and, and it has been found to be one of the most effective ones. Now, unfortunately, that's an unlicensed product and full plant extract. So the NHS are quite wary of prescribing that. It's not that they don't prescribe unlicensed medicines. They just don't like to do that. It doesn't fit into that nice model. It doesn't tick those boxes. No. So that's kind of one of the, the blockages there with it is the fact that a lot of these um, medicines, cannabis-based medicines that are out there, oils that are available, are still unlicensed medication. You've then got the, the other factor of they keeps, there's not enough clinical research which fits into the boxes that's been done in the UK. So there's lots of research being done outside of the UK. If we look towards Israel, we look towards Canada, we look towards the US. But unfortunately, the UK still doesn't recognise that as much as it would recognise it from, say, Oxford or um, Imperial College or some research institute within the UK. Okay. We then got sounds, the other... that, I have to say it does sound a little short-sighted. You know, the, 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 I'm sure these other places are good standing research institutions. Oh, 100 percent. The data is there. Um, it's one of the reasons that's being given for why it's not being prescribed. There isn't enough research. Um, but there is. There is definitely, I mean, the increase in research, if you actually look, it, it going from next to nothing before 2018 to hundreds and thousands of papers being published now. We've got whole journals dedicated to cannabinoid medicine. I mean, it wasn't until the 1990s that the actual endocannabinoid system was discovered and actually found that um, anandamide, which is one of the, our endocannabinoids, that we actually, our endogenous cannabinoids that we produce, was discovered and identified. So it is a relatively new kind of system within the body. Mm -hmm. People are still very nervous of it, and researchers are still very nervous for getting involved with it as well. I think we've also got the other problem as well with the NHS. I think there's a fear of an opening of the floodgates. I think there's a bit of a fear of that if we prescribe it for one person, everybody will start demanding it. And I don't think that will happen. I, I think that, that there are cases where we've got children that need this medication. And, and it, with MedCan support, there are there's over 600 families involved with that. And the difference they see when they start using this product, they know that they're not going to cure their children's epilepsy. They know that this is just a tool. And they know that they still will have to use AEDs with that. That's anti-epileptic uh, medication. But they can reduce down the amount of them they're using. They're, they're not having to use five or six different medications to counteract some of the problems that they're facing from them and taking them to doses where their children are becoming zombies, that they're not actually thriving anymore. So I think that there's quite a few kind of, there's, there's, there's a number of different kind of blockages and reasons. Yeah. In, and in that particular instance, just with the children with epilepsy, I mean, if, if a child has childhood epilepsy and ends up going to hospital, you know, a number of times a month, this is going to cost the NHS an awful lot of money. So, I mean, presumably you could make a case that this course of action is, is significantly cheaper. I, I know, I, I, you know, I haven't done any figures. I just said that off the top of my head, but I, I can imagine that being the case. 
Well, something I'm part of the Cannabis Industry Council, um, I'm on the executive board there. One of the things that we're planning on doing is doing this economic uh, actual uh, analysis, looking at what the cost implications is of somebody with epilepsy. You know, you've got the call out of the ambulance. What's the cost there? What is the cost on having to use rescue medication, AM, uh, accident and emergency access, doctors um, having to come in and actually, um, you know, what, what money is being saved by the reduction in the seizures. And it's, it's something that is being uh, put forward. And um, the Cannabis Industry Council is, is looking to raise more yeah. funds because unfortunately everything costs money to do. We're working with uh, York University at the moment um, and we'll be uh, you know, looking to put this forward. So if there's anybody listening to this show wants to donate some money towards this, uh, please contact the Cannabis Industry Council or myself. I can put you in touch with the right person because this is really important to put, the for put forward the actual financial implications of this. Mm -hmm. uh, it, the other strange thing, the other thing that really baffles me is there is no toxic level to cannabis. There is no point of where toxicity occurs. Now, you will go to sleep, and the, the, if you take too much THC or, or far too much edibles, yes, you will sleep for a long time, and it may feel like you're going to die because the room's spinning, but there is actually no point of toxicity, not like alcohol where there is or opiates where there is. There is a point where you get... Um, it, breathing will be suppressed so that um, it slows down to the point where you stop breathing. There is an overdose point. This doesn't occur with cannabis. So why, why do we keep hitting these doors? Why do we keep hitting these walls and not being able to get any further? And I think one of the biggest problems is the stigma. You will have been taught. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it's at school. What were you told about cannabis? Well, it's a, it's an evil drug. Um, stay well away it's the gateway drug you'll have one token a spliff and that will be it you will be you know on amphetamines and you know homeless before you know it um that's and that stigma still sort of associated with it yeah. and what we're sort of trying to do is get people to really see that it, it does have medicinal properties and if we can get that acceptance of the medicinal properties of it it moves into a different category people start to accept it as being, oh, it's, it's not, not a baddie. It's not, it's not just a drug of misuse. When I did my degree, all we learned about cannabis was how to detect it in urine or blood if there'd been a case um, of forensics. It, it was on the forensic side. We weren't taught about any medicinal properties of it. That's now changing because that was in the 1990s. But that's now changing. They're starting to actually talk about the endocannabinoid system. They're talking okay. about endogenous cannabinoids within the body and the effects. Do, of sorry, I interrupted. But you, you do hear uh, stories of it leading use, use of cannabis as a recreational drug can lead on to um, paranoia. People get becoming quite paranoid. Uh, as as a, a side effect is is that is that true or is that just one of those stories you hear so yeah if, if somebody has a predisposition to schizophrenia cannabis may trigger that but the number of cases is quite it, it is quite it, it's quite a rare thing and it's kind of one of those things that's been kind of hooked onto that's going to cause it nobody really talks about the psychosis that alcohol causes 
or anxiety. So when people have got um, a hangover, the anxiety, they suffer from that. Nobody looks at that of how um, caffeine can do the same as well, can make you feel very jittery and very anxious as well. No one really talks about that. It seems to be the only thing that they can find as a really bad side effect from cannabis is the, the schizophrenia and it causing that in certain people. Now, if you don't know what you're actually taking, so if you've bought some cannabis from someone who is, it's very, very high in THC and there's a particular terpene in there, I know people with uh, linalol, for example, will, <coughs> will cause anxiety. If you don't know you've got a particular variety, a cultivar that, that is high in that that terpene and you're taking that and then it, it triggers that that's where the problems can come so we need more transparency as well right. in what we're actually consuming all right so you you had your conference um a couple of weeks ago now uh so i i, I trust that was it was a useful event and uh, you're already planning the next one or if you're not already planning it you're thinking when the next one might be well, what, what, how we timed it was we did it on the week when the law changed, uh, Medicinal Cannabis Awareness Week. And four years ago, in 2018, the law changed so that cannabis could be prescribed. So we time it every year. And there's a lot of other events occurring over that period of time with webinars and the plea put on. And the success of this year's event, where we had between 200 to 250 people actually attend the event, exact figures were a little bit difficult because people were coming and going through the day. But we know that registered actually on Everbright, there was over 300. But we, you never know with people registering with it being a free event, we, we couldn't exactly say the numbers that, that arrived. But we are definitely looking to do it next year early November, this year it was the 4th of November which worked beautifully and uh, next year we're planning on doing that and it's thanks to Drug Science, uh, Max Houston from Drug Science and MedCan Support, Matt Hughes from that who put all the effort, all the time into actually organising the event and it, it was an absolutely amazing, well thought out, well organised event where everybody that attended came away feeling happy, feeling like they'd you know, spoken to some really inspirational people. Um, we, we, we just want to, you know, continue that on next year, make it bigger and better, and hopefully get more information to, to patients and more new patient stories as well. Okay. So, well, in that theme, if people are listening to this and thinking, all right, I would like to find out some more information about medicinal cab cannabis, what the situation is, whether it could potentially help me, uh, what are some good, uh, good sources of information? So um, if you are particularly interested in uh, paediatrics and children, uh, MedCan supports a really good place. There's a lot of information there about cannabis medicines, um, as well as adults, because I come from the adult perspective there. There's a lot of resources to start off there. Also, drug science is a really another good resource to actually start at. Um, there's a lot of information on cannabis as a medicine there. You've then got the MCCS, which is the Medicinal Cannabis Clinician Society. So if you're a healthcare worker, so maybe as a nurse or a dentist or a doctor, a GP who just wants to know more, that's a really good place to start. And there's free courses on there as well. That's a really, really good place to kind of start if you're, you're coming from that perspective, as opposed to the patient perspective. Sure. Um, 
Um, but all of those resources are fantastic places to start. Feel free to reach out to myself. I'm always here to help anybody who wants to know more information. And it may be a little bit more around a specific disease you want to know more about or a specific condition or how to just, you know, understand the um, legal prescription route of getting a, a cannabis prescription. Okay. All right. So look, Kelly, I think this is uh, very interesting and hopefully very useful for a lot of people. So many thanks for chatting. Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure. And thank you for just allowing me to, to share this amazing plant and everything around it and try and get rid of the stigma. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at AlgaCells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. AlgaCells. Part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. AlgaCells. Life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. The station that makes you feel good. Heart valve disease is very serious and is really worth uh, avoiding if you can. Will Wohen is CEO of Heart Valve Voice and he's organising a bus tour to help. I asked him what it was all about. The bus is a UK awareness campaign on heart valve disease. Now, heart valve disease is a very common disease. There's about 2 million over 65s. It mainly affects older people. It's a very serious disease in the fact that the aortic stenosis, which is the most common form of heart valve disease, patients, about 50% of them will die within one and a half to two years. So it's a really serious disease. And yet it's very treatable. There are many treatment options, early detection, you get treated and get back to a really good quality of life. So this bus is going up and down the UK um, and offering that early detection, that stethoscope check. All right. So a couple of questions there. Aortic stenosis. What is that in, in, the, in, so in terms that I can understand? <laughs> no problem. So, so your heart is like a pump. It's like your engine of a car. And inside there, you've got a series of chambers and there are four valves. Now, your aortic valve is a really important one. And what happens over time, it can get a bit clogged up and uh, a bit hard. And that doesn't pump the blood around the heart very well. And it can give you symptoms of breathlessness, a bit tired, uh, a bit weary on exertion, but it uh, chest pain and what happens is a lot of people who are perhaps 55 onwards put that down to the natural signs of aging and actually it's your heart not pumping the blood around the body well enough 
So we've got to get people to recognize those symptoms and get their heart listened to. Okay. So the result could be if you ignore these symptoms, like you know, a heart attack, and actually you're dead in one minute. Game over. Exactly. So the way in which we can identify that those valves aren't closing and opening effectively, we would hear blood regurgitating back into the heart or outside of the heart. Um, and that is heard by a murmur. So a GP or a pharmacist can put a stethoscope check on there. And if he or she hears a, a second whooshing sound, we know that we need to get that patient quickly onto a pathway where we can look inside the heart with an echo to work out how severe this disease is and get them treated because early detection means that you have a better outcome and, a, and, and actually you're less of a burden on the NHS, you can get treated quickly, you recover quickly and you can get back to the, the great quality of life that you deserve. Okay, all right. And so what is the treatment likely, likely to be once it's been discovered by your bus, the problem has been <laughs> discovered? Yeah, so my, my team are here in partnership with hospitals. So cardiac surgeons, cardiologists and doctors will listen to the heart. We'll give them lots of advice and information to go and see their GP to have uh, that first proper detection and get referred to echocardiography. And we can help them on the way with that. So the message is really that um, get your heart listened to and there are pathways there to get treated because sadly, the, the fact is that severe disease of heart valve disease, the prognosis is worse than most cancers. That's how serious the disease is. Okay, goodness. All right, so is there a particular problem at the moment? You know, are, are there more people wandering around with this problem and it, it hasn't been discovered than there have been in the past? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. And, and a recent study in the Open Heart Journal identified that there's nearly 300,000 over 55s with this severe disease. And actually, between now and the next five years, if we don't find those patients, that would equal to about 35,000 people dying every year. That's how serious we, we say this disease is. And I know a lot of listeners will be saying, well, I can't get to, to my GP. And our message is clear. You must insist if you see those symptoms in yourself or a loved one of breathlessness, tiredness, dizziness, bit of chest pain, insist that you get a stethoscope check. Take information with you about how those day-to-day -day activities are slowing you down and making life difficult. Because, again, it is such a treatable disease. You can have surgery for younger patients. But there's also transcatheter therapy where we can go in through the groin, the patient's awake, and we can replace the valve. And in many cases, the patient will go home the next day. Wow, that sounds fantastic. So that's so hey, just say that again. So that's a heart valve replacement under a local anesthetic. Absolutely. I've been into, into the lab to watch these amazing NHS clinicians replace a valve. The patient's awake talking they'll go back to a ward so not necessarily needing to go into any kind of critical ward they'll go uh, before long they're having a cup of tea and uh, they can go home the next day and this bus oh. has actually identified an individual robert was having fish and chips in leeds market uh, not really aware of the symptoms because he was changing his behavior to hide them he came on the bus and within a few short weeks um, he was treated with this transcatheter therapy, a TAVI, 
Um, and now he's he's living his best life again. But um, that's how important awareness is. That is brilliant. That's a win-win. So for the patient, that's, you know, healthy again without a general anaesthetic. And for the NHS, it's, you know, he's in there for a day or two. It's not a major operation. So it's much quicker, uses much less NHS resources. So this 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 is good news. Precisely. What tends to happen is if patients ignore these symptoms, they revolve around the NHS. They, they end up maybe having a fall through the dizziness. They might end up in A&E with some chest pain. And um, that's why this if we know that a patient has valve disease, we can put in very robust protocols to monitor them and get the right patient the treatment at the right time. OK, so you, you've mentioned some of the symptoms and, uh, you know, just people should be aware of them. We'll list them again again at the end, actually, just to, to make absolutely sure people can remember them. But have, have you found that, you know, wearables, lots of people have wearables that monitor all kinds of things, how much exercise they're doing and their heart rate and all this sort of stuff. Um, can those things be useful at all? Uh, if, if, if people are sort of just, if they have one of these wearables, might it be a useful thing? Yeah, lots of wearable devices are useful to spot certain cardiac conditions like uh, arrhythmias and high blood pressure and, and heart failure. But the key thing for valve disease is that it's a progressive disease. It can start slowly, but then unfortunately, when it becomes severe and that valve is under too much pressure, it's like a cliff edge. And, and unfortunately, we go straight into heart failure. So we do see innovative technologies like digital stethoscopes that can really accurately listen to those hearts. And we've got projects where we're offering stethoscope checks like that in perhaps libraries, uh, in pharmacies to lessen the burden on the NHS. And, and, and we currently have a petition to increase funding. We need to put more funding into the NHS to treat this common, serious, but treatable disease. And, and I'd really welcome your listeners to, to find that on our website and, and support this cause. Right. OK. Um, and are we here particularly because of covid has that been an issue has, has that kind of caused this current glut or is it just a problem all the time as we get a bit older and a bit blase about our health it, it, yeah obviously covid has put a lot of pressure on the nhs and it, and it obviously worries a lot of older uh, people and i think we should put definitely put those covid fears behind us for identifying this disease look we've got an aging population that's why we're seeing more patients with heart valve disease if you look at the prevalence it increases with age um so we're, we're making sure that if you're over 55 particularly and you're noticing yourself or a loved one slowing down to get to the gp and yes it's difficult to get that gp appointment but you really do need to insist to get the early detection okay tell us a bit more about the bus um, <laughs> So um, you're on tour. Are you going all around the UK or, you know, and how many places and how many people can you see? Where do you go? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, no problem with that answer. So we've been to eight cities across the UK and uh, we're here today, actually, in Peckham, Peckham Square. We will typically listen to around 300 to 400 people in a day. So the cardiologists and surgeons are putting stethoscopes onto the chest of around three to 400 people a day. 
So to date, we're around 3,000 people since the start of the year. And we're picking up about 10% of undiagnosed cardiac conditions, whether that's arrhythmia, high blood pressure or murmurs. So the pickup is, is significant. There's a lot of disease out there. Um, the bus is going to be uh, continuing to tour over the next six to nine months. And you can find out where we'll be in, in, in the next couple of weeks via the Heart Valve Voice website and the Valve for Life website, which we're working in partnership with. Um, but yeah, the bus is is in um it's just been a wonderful opportunity to, to raise awareness of the disease. Okay. And have have you found people are quite willing to get on the bus, as it were, or do they have to be kind of enticed in? <laughs> it's a bit of a mixed bag, but I think most people are actually empowered when they hear my team talk to them about valve disease because this is something that is treatable. There is so many good stories that we can share with the public of patients who have since been treated have gone back to work. They might be a carer for a loved one. They might be picking up grandchildren at a school gate and once treated, they can enjoy that quality of life. So the message is very clear. This isn't something to be scared of. This is something to, to empower yourself uh, and, and take ownership of your own health, your own cardiac health. All right. So you, and you've been touring public places. Do you, do you go to places of work as well? You know, go to the car park of a big, a big office or something like that? Yeah, we've, we've been to lots of sporting events as well. And we're in negotiation with lots of different stakeholders to, to try and be around the public where particularly older people can access this opportunity because people really value that in-person chance to talk about their health and and to get a, a stethoscope check it's really reassuring excellent all right it, it sounds like it's worth uh worthwhile and is this a, is this a big double decker bus <laughs> yeah you can't really miss it if i'm honest a big blue double decker bus um people with clipboards and stethoscopes around their necks so uh once uh, you know where it is you, you'll, you'll definitely spot it and the process is quick. If you if you see the bus in your local square and you think, right, I'm going to go and do that, you know, you know, you don't have to put aside a couple of hours. How long does it take? So the actual stethoscope check, there's a little form that we want you to fill in just to tell us about any kind of worries or symptoms, just to inform the clinician. But the stethoscope check probably takes a minute, two minutes tops. So it really is a quick and easy listen. Um, so, yeah, I would encourage anyone to, to take that moment in their busy day to come and uh, visit us. Excellent. All right. Now, you mentioned those symptoms at the start. Mention them again, that if people feel like they're, that they're suffering from them, they really need to do something about it. Either get on your bus or make an appointment to see the GP. Mention, yeah. list those symptoms now, slowly, so people can really remember them. What I want people to do is to think slow. If my day-to-day -day activities are starting to make me a little bit slow to do those activities, and that's shortness of breath, lightheadedness on exertion, feeling older than your age, a bit older and weary. If you have any of those slow symptoms, there can be a telltale sign of heart valve disease. Excellent. Right. Finally, just give us your website so people can see where the bus is. Yeah, so that's heartvalvevoice.com. And we're obviously on all the social media channels as well. So you, 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 you'll you find us there with a quick internet search. Great. Well, I think this is important stuff. So thank you very much indeed for chatting. 
no problem. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much to my guests on this week's show. And they were Dr. Kelly Seaman of Medcan Support and Aqualabs, and also Will Wone, CEO of Heartvale Voice. And of course, a big thanks to you for listening. That was the Relaxed Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening, and please do join us again next time.